looking together in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. But before we do, I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. I wonder if you've experienced anxiety. I was reading or listening to a, a someone talking about anxiety, and they were talking about our current culture, and particularly about young people. And uh, we live in a culture of anxiety, worry, fear about what tomorrow might bring, or fear about what your friends might think. And obviously, we live in an age today with um, amazing technology, and that technology provides us with many blessings, but along with that, especially along with social media, come the uh, ability to interact with one another in ways that we didn't have available to us when I was in high school. Um, we didn't have the ability to uh, Snapchat or to uh, uh, Facebook back and forth or all of these things that we do. And, and those things are wonderful tools if used appropriately, but at the same time, that's part of what for young people is causing a tremendous amount of anxiety. Um, text messaging and all of this. In fact, some psychologists have said that young people are suffering from insomnia, the inability to sleep because at night they, they don't turn their phone off and they're wondering when the next text will come in and when the next Facebook post will come in. And, and if they don't immediately respond to that text message or, or if they don't immediately post or re reply to that, that Facebook, there's that anxiety. Or, or maybe you've the, you're the one who sent the text message or you posted the Facebook post and, and you're waiting for the reply and you're anxious about that. And anxiety is, is ruling our, our world. In fact, I was reading an article where a young lady in her uh, low 20s, she had graduated from college, she was out in the workplace, uh, was uh, talking about anxiety, and, and she made the statement that if, if you're not anxious, you're weird. If you're not anxious, there must be something wrong with you. Everybody's anxious. But, but what is it at the heart? It is at the heart of anxiety, but not, not just anxiety, but maybe you get frustrated. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you're not content, and maybe that discontent shows up in grumbling and complaining. Uh, the scriptures have something to say about these things and about the way we feel, and it really comes down to the gospel. It really comes down to understanding the gospel, and there are essential truths about the gospel that we must embrace in order for us to have the kind of wholeness the kind of peace that Christ wants us to have in this life, and especially as we anticipate Christ's coming, that peace that we will have when he returns. So what is the gospel? Well, we're not going to, we're, we're going to touch on, we're going to focus on one key element of it this morning from Matthew chapter 5. But before we go there, I want to read uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, so that we can come into this text appropriately and understand its context. We read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel, or the good news, of the kingdom. Now, there are other places in Scripture at the beginning of other gospels where we're told that Jesus' ministry is a preaching of the gospel. In fact, when John the Baptist is interested in knowing whether or not Jesus is truly the one, Jesus sends his uh, John Baptist's disciples back and says, go tell them that I'm preaching the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom. 
And then from that, we go on and go into what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So we're told that Jesus has come to preach the gospel, and then we come into the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I see that connection, that the Sermon on the Mount is really, at the heart of it, it's, it's the gospel. Jesus is going to unfold and unpack the gospel for us throughout that. But we're just going to look at one verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, and to get there, we're going to, we're going to pick it up again in context, and starting in chapter 5, verse 1, we read, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's the verse I want to focus on this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be blessed? Would you like blessing in your life? And by that blessing, I think what we, what we would most understand that to mean is the kind of peace and wholeness and togetherness that would make life in, enjoyable in this world. And the anticipation of that peace and that wholeness to come. It, it, the blessing is not so much found in the material possessions that we have. In fact, we know that because he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And now in Luke, in the parallel passage to this, Luke doesn't even say in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor. Now we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But clearly Jesus does not have in mind material possessions, money, a cool car, great clothes, that kind of thing. That's not the blessing that he's talking about. He's talking about being blessed in a more significant, more lasting, and more profound way. A way that actually overcomes anxiety. A way that overcomes frustration and anger in those things that we feel. Uh, and let me say it this way. Being poor in spirit is the beginning of the gospel. Being poor in spirit is the beginning of the gospel. Jesus, we're told, is preaching the gospel. That's what he came to do. He came to preach the gospel, and he begins by saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. So he begins there. So we might say, if, if you do not have this essential of understanding what it means to be poor in spirit, then, then you don't have the gospel. Uh, we might say it this way. If you are not poor in spirit, you are not blessed. Notice he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not a way of doing. It's not a way of what we do. It's a way of being. It's who we are. And so if you want to be in a state of blessing, if you want to be blessed, you need to be poor in spirit. And if you're not poor in spirit, then you're not blessed, is what Jesus is saying. So I think that begs the question, what does it mean then to be poor in spirit? We ought to understand that, right? If Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and I want to be blessed, then I need to understand what does it mean to be poor in spirit. Well, again, Luke talks about this, and if you would keep your finger there in Matthew, but turn over to Luke chapter 6, Jesus preaches a, a similar message to the people there. Luke chapter 6, 
I referenced this passage a minute ago, but I wanted you to see it. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Jesus, turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor. Now, does Jesus have in mind this idea that if you are materially poor, that is, if you do not have much money, that you don't have many resources in life, that you're blessed? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that there is something uh, that is essentially good about being poor. But what we do see is that even throughout all of the Old Testament that God is favorable toward the poor. In, I, in Psalm 34, 6, scriptures say, This poor man cried to the Lord, and he heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Or Psalm 10, 14, The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been a helper of the orphan. Or Isaiah 25, 4, for you have been a defense to the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, and a shade from the heat. I, I could go on and on from Old Testament passages where the Lord shows favor to those who are materially poor, those who are weak and vulnerable in this world. But, but what's the connection here? Well, Spiritual poverty, being poor in spirit, is comparable to material poverty in many ways. Let's think about the comparisons here. Let's think about the materially poor. Think about those who don't have very much in this one. Listen, it's hard for us to think about this in our culture because every one of you has a tremendous amount. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Pastor Kelly, you don't know me because we don't have very much. Well, but you do in comparison to the world's wealth. I, I had the opportunity to go over and spend time in Zambia, Africa, um, for several years going teaching. And the first year that I was over there, I recall a, a, an image of a young boy going to school. School is free up through the eighth grade over there, much like it's free here, but then beyond that you have to pay. But this little boy was in elementary school. And the requirements in order to be in class is that you have to have, you have to be covered. You have to have shoes on, you have to have some form of uh, pants and a shirt. And this little boy was wearing a pair of shoes that were, they were open on the top, they were barely hanging on to his feet. They were flopping um, because they were so old and uh, ruined that they, they, they were hold, held onto his feet by a string, literally. And for his shirt, he had found a rag and had draped it around his back and tied it on his neck so that he could go to school. This little boy had nothing. That, that's poverty. What we have here in the United States, we don't see that. We don't see poverty to that degree. But that's the kind of poverty that the Lord is thinking of and speaking of when he talks about being poor and then being poor in spirit. And when we think of that kind of poverty, we, we think of people who are hungry, who, who may not have something to eat today, or maybe not even tomorrow. We think of people who are, they're, they're trapped 
in their poverty. In other words, they don't have the opportunity to come to a school like this necessarily, and, and they certainly don't have an opportunity for college, and they don't have an opportunity in their world to, to get out of that poverty. They're enslaved to it. Not by choice, but because that's just their reality. They're dependent upon others. They're desperate, and they're unable to contribute they don't have anything to give to other people who are in need. And I think it's that that Jesus wants us to be thinking about, but he wants us to be thinking about it spiritually. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It is your acceptance of your spiritual poverty before God. Being poor in spirit is your personal acceptance of your personal poverty before God. And we connect the material poverty with our spiritual poverty in these ways. Do you see yourself as hungry spiritually? Do you see yourself as someone needing the spiritual food that only God can give? Or are you satisfied with this world and all that it offers you? Do you see yourself as someone who is at risk of being enslaved to sin, trapped by sin. Do you see that that's your natural state? That apart from Christ, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that you are enslaved to sin? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have been set free from the power of sin, but if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are enslaved to your passions, to the things that you want to do. You will not always be able to say no, when you, even when you know that you should say no. Do you see yourself as dependent? Dependent upon God? Dependent upon others? Do you see yourself as desperate? Desperately in need of help? And do you see yourself as unable to contribute? Unable to give? Apart from what God has given to you? Isaiah 64, 6 says this. For all of us. How many of us? All of us. Have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There are many other passages we could go to. Jeremiah 17, 9, for the heart is, more, is, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And that's where I think Paul goes in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, when he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Let me ask you a question this morning. How does your heart react if I say to you, you're nothing before God? How do you respond in your, in your heart? Right? Because, listen, I understand we're having a conversation, those of you that are listening to me. 
we're having a conversation, right? You're not saying anything out loud, but you're thinking in your mind. You're processing what I'm saying. I'm asking you a question. How, how does your heart respond if I say to you, you are nothing before God? Do you say, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute, Kelly. I, I, I'm special. God created me special. Is that how your heart reacts to that? Do you argue with that? Let me read a passage to you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 17 says this. All the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded, regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. All the nations are nothing before him. Listen, you know how many people live in the United States? It's about 350 million people. You are one of hundreds of millions. And that's just one nation. And God says to the nation, you're nothing and less than nothing to me. Being poor in spirit is a recognition that when I stand before God, I stand before the infinite creator of all things, and in comparison to him, I am nothing and less than nothing. But you see, this flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? I, I recall a story that I read by an author, he was, uh, he was walking through the streets of London with a talent scout. This is a man who would look for musical talent or writing talent or, or you know, so like, kind of like a, a, a different version of American Idol, right? Looking for talent. And so they're walking through the streets of London and this talent scout was talking about a young man that he had come through, come upon, who he thought for sure this man would be amazingly successful in this world. And, and this gentleman said to him, so why do you think that man will succeed? And his response is, well, because he believes in himself. He has high self-esteem. And that's what our world says, doesn't it? You want to succeed in this world? Believe in yourself. You, if you're frustrated, if you're, if you're dealing with anxiety, your problem is likely that you have low self-esteem. You need to think more highly of yourself. That's what our world tells us. That's what, that's what our society is filled with. You can go to the bookstores and find book after book after book on self-esteem and how to improve your self-image. This man's response to him was, a bus was driving by, and on the bus was a, a uh, a, a billboard with a local home where the residents there were suffering from delusions. In other words, the residents at this place were there because they were having hallucinations and suffering from delusions about themselves such that they, were, they weren't able to, to, to contribute to society. They weren't able to be out in the regular world because they had become dangerous to themselves and to others. And this man said, do you see that place? It was called Hanover. He said, do you see Hanover there? That's where all of the people with high self-esteem are. Those are the people who believe most in themselves. Because you have people there who believe themselves to be Jesus. You have believed those people who had delusions of being Superman and able to jump off of buildings and fly. You had, build, you had people there who were able, who, who believed themselves to be gods. They believed in themselves. You see, believing in yourself to the degree that our world would have you believe in yourself will lead you to insanity. It doesn't lead you to freedom from anxiety. 
scriptures come and they, they, they completely tear that out from underneath us and they say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who see themselves as destitute. Blessed are those who see themselves as nothing and less than nothing before God. Blessed are those who come before him and acknowledge their desperate need and hunger for him. So how do you become poor in spirit? How do you become poor in spirit? Well, first of all, you need to stop doing something. Number first of all, you need to stop comparing yourself to others. When you get on Facebook, what are you often doing? Are you not comparing your life with others? Are you not comparing yourself with other people? When you come to school and, and you look around and see what other people are wearing and what you're wearing, are you comparing yourself to them? Think of the anxiety that's created in a heart that focuses on horizontal comparison. I compare me to you. You know, when I, when I do that, I can find people that I might figure that I, I'm, maybe I'm smarter than that other person over there. Maybe I have more than that person. Maybe I'm stronger, faster, better than that other person. But at the same time, I can also find people who are smarter than me, faster than me, stronger than me, who have more than me. So on the one hand, I can become prideful. On the other hand, I can become worried or anxious. You see, these are symptoms of a spiritual richness that is inappropriate for us as Christians. A spiritual pride that is inappropriate. First, we need to stop comparing ourselves to one another. That's not the standard that God will judge you by. God is not going to line us all up together and, and, and judge us in accordance to how we compare with one another. That's not the standard. What is the standard? Is it not God himself? Is it not God himself who is the standard of measurement? In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, later on, Jesus is going to say in verse chapter 5, verse 48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anyone here willing to raise your hand and say, I'm perfect? More so, are you willing to raise your hand and say, I'm perfect like my heavenly Father is perfect? But don't you see? That's the standard. That's what you're going to be judged by. And if we understand that standard, if we, so we, we stop comparing ourselves and then we compare ourselves to God, we behold Him, we behold His glory, then we will experience poverty of spirit, much like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, where, where he's ushered into the very throne room of God. He sees God seated on His throne. And, and his, his, his uh, train fills the temple, and there's smoke, and there's earthquakes, and there's angels surrounding God, crying, holy, holy, holy. And what is Isaiah's response? He sees and beholds God's glory to the extent even that he can, because I would suggest that he still wasn't able to see all of his glory in that moment. But inasmuch as he sees him, what does he do? He falls down before him and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm from a 
people of unclean lips. He is shattered. He is broken. He is poor in spirit. He's crushed. He no longer sees himself as something. He sees himself as nothing before his God. He sees himself as absolutely destitute before him. He sees him as absolutely in need, able to contribute nothing until, until the angel comes and takes the tongs and removes a coal from the fire and touches his lips and pronounces forgiveness. And that's looking ahead to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. See, the gospel begins with our acceptance of this reality that I am destitute and broken and absolutely in need. And, and it moves us to the glory of Jesus Christ who was sent into this world to live his life for you. Jesus was perfect as his heavenly father was perfect. Jesus is perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. Jesus didn't sin in any way. He lived his life perfectly. He fulfilled all of the law on your behalf. He did that for you. And then he died on the cross and took all of the sin of your life, all of the falling short of the God's glory in your life, and he paid the penalty of it. And then he said, listen, if you will cling to me for your righteousness, if you will come to me broken, poor in spirit, then the kingdom of heaven will be yours. If you'll cling to me and come with me, I will usher you in. I will give you my righteousness. I will give you perfection. You can't come to Christ if you're not broken. You have to be broken first. Uh, my wife was uh, trained as a teacher. She taught for a little, little while in various settings, and she's kind of in that role again now. But a friend or a family member actually gave her early on, gave her a figurine. It's a, a little, one of those little, uh, very intricate statues of a teacher. And this even goes down, this teacher has glasses and she's holding a book and, and really cool. And it sat on a shelf and my wife was cleaning one day and she knocked this little figurine off and it fell onto the floor and the head broke off. That, that, Statue, that little figurine was created in the image of a teacher. It meant to represent teachers. In a similar way, God has created you to represent him in the world, to come look like him. But just as that little figurine fell off and it had its head broken off and it was useless, so you and I have fallen and have become useless. Our, our head has come off, kind of. But, you know, we were able to take that statue and take some glue and very carefully put some glue on that neck area and reattach that head and, and it stayed because there's good glue out there and, and, it, and it sits now still on our shelf. It's not perfect. If you look closely enough, you'll see that it's got some cracks around the neck, but the head is on. Christ is your glue. If you remove the glue from that figurine, the head will come off. That statue is absolutely, moment by moment, dependent upon the glue. 
My question to you this morning is, are you dependent upon Christ in that way? Feelings of anxiety, anger, frustration, those lead to criticism, it leads to gossip, it leads to bullying, arguing, defiance, sassing your parents, all of those things. Those are, those are actually indications of spiritual pride. Those are indications that you see yourself as someone better than you actually are in reality. And you're not realizing that everything in this life that is good, you are dependent upon Christ for he's your glue. So I wonder, do you see yourself as poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? Have you embraced the truth on your own, that, you, that, that, that on your own you are spiritually destitute? This isn't just what it means to become a Christian. You need that in order to become a Christian. And if you've not come to that place, then you've not yet become a Christian because you're depending on yourself. You're depending on what you do. But not just that. It's not just becoming a Christian. It's being a Christian. Living the Christian life, we remain in that place of spiritual poverty. Being blessed because we are poor in spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace of Christ that you've given to us. So we thank you that in Jesus, we can be perfect. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that apart from Jesus, that we are broken and destitute. That we truly are poor in spirit before you. But Lord, I pray that we would become poor in spirit. That Lord, perhaps there are some here this morning that don't know you. They haven't come to faith in you yet. Lord, may you show them that the anxiety, that the brokenness that they feel and experience is because they're trying on their own and they're comparing themselves with others and they're not looking to you. Lord, for those of us that have looked to you, may you continue to remind us that we need to continue to look to you and continue to resist the temptation to compare ourselves to others and continue to, to depend on you as the glue that will hold our lives together. Father, we, we do depend on you. We depend on the work of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.